Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Neutral Organics, one of my favorite Australian whole food companies who provide a range of organic, honest whole food products to nourish you and your family. You can follow them on social media at Neutral Organics. Today's expert guest is the incredible Dr. Rachel Goldman, who is a licensed psychologist practicing in New York City. She specializes in health and wellness, including health behavior change, stress management, eating behaviors, obesity, bariatric surgery, and weight management. She helps their clients achieve their health and wellness goals utilizing cognitive behavioral therapy. Dr. Rachel serves on many professional committees and thrives in the wellness community in New York, where she can meet and bring like-minded individuals together to network, learn, and facilitate behavioral changes that will promote healthier and happier lives. You can follow Dr. Rachel on social media at Dr. Rachel NYC, that's Dr. with a D-R, Rachel NYC, or visit her website, www.drrachelnyc.com. Don't forget to leave me a positive rating or review in your podcast app if you enjoyed the podcast, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Dr. Rachel, welcome back to the second podcast. We are very excited to have you back on here with us for another amazing chat. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And for anybody who didn't catch the first podcast with Dr. Rachel, we really took a deep dive into eating behaviors, well-being, and self-sabotage as well. She gave us some incredible tips in that podcast, so I would recommend going back and listening to that podcast first before coming and listening to this second one, where we're really going to focus on confidence, happiness, and well-being as well in this podcast. So I guess I guess for our listeners at home, Dr. Rachel, I'd love for you to talk about some positive, healthy eating behaviors, or even just tips that you encourage or talk about with your clients each day. Yeah, so... Um, so, you know, in the last podcast, we spoke a lot about like mindful eating. And one of the things that I really encourage all of my clients to do, even if it's not specifically mindful eating right away, I encourage them to slow down their eating. Um, I always say everybody probably eats too quickly and the best way to slow down, although it is not easy um, the best way really is by putting your utensil down in between every bite or if that's your piece of fruit, your apple, your sandwich or whatever, to put it down, not to be holding it and chew, chew, chew until there's nothing left in your mouth. And then when there's nothing left in your mouth, you can then pick up your fork again or your apple again, et cetera. Um, And what that does is really slows down the whole process. So our brain and our stomach takes time to send a signal to say that, you know, people are full. Um, We, you know, usually people say it takes about 20 minutes. And by slowing down the eating, it's going to help make that connection kind of happen sooner in a way, um, or rather not you know, later after you've already eaten so much. Um, Usually what happens when people eat very quickly is that all of a sudden they're very full. Um, So by slowing down your eating, you can be able to ask yourself, do I really need that other bite? Or, Or do I really want another bite? How am I feeling? And sometimes that one bite can actually make a big difference. So just simply by slowing down your eating, um, is one of the first things that I recommend that people do. 
And then I also see a lot of people who skip meals. Um, So another kind of go-to first thing I'll have them do if I know that they're skipping meals is to start eating regularly throughout the day. Um, I usually say about every three to four hours of their waking hours. And I remind people I'm not a dietitian and I'm not a nutritionist, but um, I do work with patients on their eating behaviors and their thoughts around food. And when people are skipping meals and going too many hours without eating, they usually get to the point where they're overly hungry, they overeat, and then will feel guilty about it and or emotional eating happens in between then as well. So I would say those are my two um, kind of go-tos that I have everybody do if they're not doing already. Wonderful. And I love how you say even just slow down with your chewing. As the amount of times I say to people for optimum gut health and digestion, you should chew your food 30 times. And people just look at me like completely stunned. And I must admit, chewing 30 times each bite is really, really, really difficult to do. But I think a lot of people would chew about, you know, two to three times and almost inhale their food and they're not even actually chewing at all. So it really does take a lot of, you know, effort, I guess, to start to recognize if they're starting to feel full as, you know, as you said, that brain and that gut link does take around 20 minutes or something like that. And another tip I like to give my clients is to eat until they're about 80% full. And I feel like these two tips go hand in hand because if you're eating until you're 100% full, give it 10, 15, 20 minutes later, and you're going to feel over full. You're going to feel very uncomfortable. And a lot of people feel a little bit ill afterwards as well. So eating until you're 80% full sort of guarantees that that 100% satisfaction, give it 15, 20 minutes later. So even if you're not able to chew a lot of times at home, you're in a hurry or in a rush, another strategy that's really easy to try and implement at home as well is eating until you're 80% full. Definitely. Yeah. I like, I like that rule as well. And it makes sense with the 20 minutes wait. Cause like you said, then they will feel satisfied and full. And I often tell my patients, you know, if, if in that time, you know, say in 10 minutes, you're still hungry, then have another bite. The food is there. Um, you know, so to slow down the eating, like it's not going anywhere. And, and I think it also is really great because then people realize that they can have leftovers, you know, like Mm -hmm. now you have, say you go out to dinner when now you have dinner and lunch for tomorrow. Um, because people do realize that they can feel satisfied much sooner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing, you know, we live, most people live in a world where food is almost in abundance, where there will generally always be another meal. And I think a lot of people do get quite almost afraid that they have to eat everything on their plate sometimes. It's almost ingrained in them from like a childhood thing where their parents made them eat everything. And they almost feel that fear that, you know, they can't leave anything behind on their plate or they're even sort of worried where their next meal might be. But, you know, I very, very, very rarely meet a client where there's not going to be a next meal in a couple of hours time. You know, it's not like you you eat a meal and it's going to be weeks or days and days on end before you have another meal. So even just trying to get rid of that, that fear and restriction around food and recognizing that for most people, food is actually in abundance. Yeah, definitely. I think that's important and reminding people that, um, you know, you, you can have more, like if you buy the, you know, like in the last episode, we talked about like chocolate and emotional eating. Like if you end up buying the bag and having one piece, then you have more for tomorrow or the next day or the next day, as opposed to eating it all. And then it's done. And then you, you don't have any more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And such a, you know, such a good mindset to get into as well. 
Now around um, stress management, it's something that I talk about a lot in relation to mental health and gut health. But in terms of stress eating, I find a lot of people, you know, they're either they're either in these two areas, like they're either someone who eats heaps when they're stressed or they're someone who doesn't eat anything at all when they're stressed. So for those people who do eat quite a lot and are what we would sort of identify as a stress eater, do you have any really practical tips for our listeners at home if they are someone who identifies as a stress eater or maybe if they're in a workplace where, you know, there's always like chocolates and biscuits and that sort of thing around their work environment. Yeah. So I probably have a lot to say about this um, or, a, or a lot of potential tips. <laughs> um, so I think the first one is, I think people know if they're stress eaters or not, but they may not necessarily be able to identify that they're stre- that they're emotionally hungry or stress hungry, so to say, before they participate in the actual act of eating. So the first step is to be able to identify, I feel stressed and I want food because I'm stressed. Um, So to understand kind of what their triggers are, for many of my clients, um, actually the time between they leave work and the time that they have dinner um, and then for the rest of the evening tends to be the most difficult. Um, And I think the reason for that is because most people, you know, have a pretty standard routine, say for breakfast and lunch and while they're at work. And then it's a Mm -hmm. little more flexible when they come home, they've been busy all day. You know, a lot of people come home and they feel like, oh, I've had such a stressful day. I kind of deserve in a way to eat whatever I want now. Um, So, so what I do is I, I tend to have a lot of my clients have a snack either right before they leave work or on their commute home. Um, Since we live in a city, a lot of people have those commutes. Um, So then when they get home, they're not both emotionally hungry or stress hungry and physiologically hungry. Um, So then they can kind of think more clearly. They can make dinner and then sit down and have a dinner. So so that's one of the tips that I do recommend. Um, And then you had said, you know, an example at work, for instance. And for that one, And I have a lot of clients, at least here in New York, a lot of companies seem to have kind of like food pantries or, you know, the food kitchen or things like that, or food closets, snack closets. Um, And it's going to sound very simple, um, but a lot of people don't think of this. Like, so I tell people to like, take a different route. Like if you pass the kitchen every day going to your office, if you can go a different way. Um, to try to avoid it unless you need to go. Um, And I do tell my clients who do go to those kitchens to get food is to have a plan before you go. So don't just aimlessly walk there without a plan, especially when you're stressed, but maybe decide, okay, I'm going to go to the food closet today and I'm going to get a piece of fruit or I'm going to go and I'm going to have this. So to have a plan in place is very helpful. Um, Another thing I think to kind of keep that, um, away could be to keep something in their hands. So if somebody, you know, is say at a, at a party, um, and they feel stressed, you know, it's very easy to be picking, but having like a water bottle or a beverage or a water in your hands can kind of help with that as well. And then my go-to all the time that I actually teach all of my clients is also diaphragmatic breathing. Um, and I think if we can take kind of like a mini time out, and identify that I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed and then take a deep breath. So that deep breath lowers our heart rate and brings our stress level back to, you know, a normal baseline or back to our homeostasis. But it also then allows us to think more rationally. When we're stressed or emotional, we become impulsive. 
Um, and we can like act out in a way kids act out, but our acting out could be grabbing food quickly and eating it very quickly. So that little timeout gives us that moment to breathe, to think, what am I doing? Okay, I had a stressful day. Maybe the right answer is actually to go take a walk as opposed to end up in the kitchen. So kind of being able to identify that and take those mini timeouts is really helpful to know the next step. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And are you a fan of things like meditating as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I always talk about meditation, mindfulness, deep breathing, or really any type of relaxation technique that works for you. Um, When I do talk about coping mechanisms, I actually tell people to have at least three go-to coping mechanisms um, Mm -hmm. to work during these different times. And the reason I say three is because a lot of people will say like, oh, I'll go to the gym or I'll take a walk or I'll go running. But if the weather's really bad and you're not going to go, then what? Or if they say, well, I'm going to call my friend, this one particular friend, well, what if your friend is not available? So I always have at least one of those three be something internal that they don't need anybody else for. And that could be any of those relaxation techniques like we just described, like the meditation, the breathing, the mindfulness, things like that. Love it. Great tip. And as you said, you know, like the weather, if it's somewhere like New York and it's snowing, you're not just going to go out for a walk, are you? Exactly. Right. Some people do, but it's probably not likely when you're emotional, you're probably not going to be like, yes, I'm going to go for a walk in the pouring rain or in the snow. (laughs) Or like in Australia at the moment, we're in the middle of summer and it's like close to 40 degrees. So again, most people aren't going to go out for a walk and even want to leave the house. Right, right. Exactly. So having a few options is really important. Um, I think if you only have one, you know, once again, it's like kind of bringing us back to that all or nothing thinking. If you only have one and you're like, well, I can't go outside because it's too hot. I guess that means I have to have the cookie. Um, So that's that kind of cognitive distortion, all or nothing thinking as well. Mm, That self-sabotage that we really talked about in the first podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Now I'm going to bring you back to the workplace because that's something that I get a lot of questions around, even particularly like co-workers self-sabotaging someone else's sort of like healthy lifestyle journey. So I love that tip that you said, you know, take the, take the alternative route. And I have a lot of clients where I actually say to them out of sight, out of mind is really something that does work with things like boxes of cookies or jars of chocolate in the office or the workspace, you know, just cover the jar with a tea towel or something. And if people want it, the chocolate or the cookie, you know, it's still there, but at least you're not seeing it every single time you walk past it. So that's probably another tip for our listeners at home as well. But for those coworkers who always seem to sabotage your progress or always say things like, you know, go on, just have one. It's not going to hurt you. What do you say to those coworkers where they're just constantly trying to almost like derail you every day? Yeah. So I love that you asked that question because I was actually just interviewed last week um, for an article that came out in the Huffington Post um, just a few days ago that was all about that. Um, And and that was one of the questions. It was like... um, Very common. Yes, it is. And I think especially during this time of year with the holidays, we see more of it. So it's really important that people can plan for this. Um, So one thing that I actually believe really works um, is honesty. And I think if somebody were to just say to a coworker, you know, I don't want that cookie because it makes me feel ill, or I don't want that cookie because, you know, I'm going to have a cookie later, you know, if that's, if that's what somebody is doing. So kind of just being honest about it, um, I think is good. I also think just being kind of matter of fact. So like, for instance, if you know that this certain coworker or say family member for the holiday always comments on your eating um, I think having a pre-planned statement that is going to take the motion out of it and just like very matter-of-factly like, 
no, I'm not eating that because it makes me sick or, you know, like this is what I want to eat and this is what I'm eating. But I think when we get caught off guard, that's when we can get very emotional about it. And that's when perhaps, you know, we will then go into say eating the cookie if you didn't want to eat the cookie. Um, but if we can have those kind of pre-planned ideas, um, that's very helpful. I actually have a client that, that deals with this, um, with her father And we have gotten it to the point that she's always prepared for it. And luckily he doesn't do it anymore, Um, but she's prepared just in case. And we discuss it, you know, every time like, okay, in the event that this happens, what are you going to do? So I think having that plan is, is important. I love that. Yeah. Like thinking ahead about it. And I find that some of the easiest things to say to people is that I'm not hungry because it's very difficult for someone to force you to eat if you tell them that you're not hungry. And I have a lot of clients that have, you know, um, like yo-yo darted quite a bit in the past. So their coworkers or their family members will say to them, you know, oh, come on, you know, you're going to fall off the diet eventually, or, you know, today's Christmas, you may as well eat it. And they're always trying to almost sabotage them in that way because they have almost, you know, sort of reverted back to their old habits. So just using something as simple as no, thank you. I'm not hungry. can often just be the simplest thing and it can do the trick because you're not going to force someone to eat if they're not hungry versus if someone said, no, thank you. I'm really trying to be healthy. It's a lot easier for people to work around that and coax them in another way almost. Right. No, I really like that. Um, and I think it's important too, for the individuals to remind themselves that when that happens, it's not about it's not about you. It's actually about the person that's making the comment. Um, and I think if people can use self-talk and in those times tell yourself, it really is not about if I'm eating the cookie or not, this is some issue that they have with themselves. Um, you know, usually it's an insecurity that the other individual has or a way a jealousy because they want to be able to, you know, say, be able to be more in control of their eating and they're not. So I think just reminding people of that can be very helpful as well. Mm, and again, one of my favorite things to say to people is, no, thank you. I'm not hungry, but you should definitely have one that looks great. <laughs> oh, I love that. And often, you know, it's really amusing because people will say, oh, no, 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 I don't want one. And it's really funny because I was like, literally 10 seconds ago, you're trying to get me to right, have one. Right. Oh, that's that's good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> so I do definitely agree that, you know, a lot of times that people are saying those sorts of things to clients, you know, I do agree that that it's almost coming from their own insecurities or something that they wish that, yeah. that they could do or even that they want want to eat it themselves. So they're trying to make you eat it to make it seem okay that you're both eating it together. Exactly. But, you know, planning ahead and having those little statements up your sleeve, I think can be really helpful. Right. So that's another right. great yeah. tip from you. Yeah. Thank you. Now, in terms of motivation, again, you know, people are probably asking you this a lot. How do you find the motivation to work out and eat well all the time? You know, I personally have just I guess, integrated it into my lifestyle. Like it's something that I I just wake up and I do. It's become like a habit for me. Do you think that daily routines and motivations, do you think they come down to our routines or habits or do certain people have more motivation than other types of people? Well, I think depending on what the why is, like why somebody is choosing to make these changes is very powerful. Um, And if somebody doesn't have a why, then it's so easy to just hit the snooze button and go back to bed and not go to the gym or not to do these things. So I do often ask my clients again, like when, when I see clients and they're losing motivation or they kind of like stop self-monitoring or stop doing things, I will ask them, let's go back. Let's remember why you decided to do this. Or I'll be, or I'll even ask them, why did you decide to come to me in the first place? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think remembering that why 
in the forefront of their brain is very important. So I'll have them kind of plaster that wherever they can. If that be like on a post-it note on a mirror when they wake up in the morning, reminding themselves why they're doing this or on a screensaver on their phone or the background of their phone or something. Um, but I absolutely do agree with what you said. And from a personal standpoint, I can say the same thing. Like to me, this is just my lifestyle. It's a habit. Even when I'm on vacation, it's part of our routine. This is what we do. Um, and I think once people can get there, it's so much easier, but it's hard to get there for people that have not incorporated these healthy behaviors in their life previously. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I'm sure you are learning so much from Dr. Rachel, but I wanted to take just one minute out of this podcast to tell you a little bit about Nutra Organics, because without their generous sponsorship of this podcast, you wouldn't be learning so much from Dr. Rachel right now. Now, Nutra Organics is one of my favorite Australian whole food companies who provide a range of organic, honest whole food products to nourish you and your family. From plant-based gut-friendly protein to collagen, whole food products, bars, and more, Nutra Organics source the highest quality ingredients to create the most delicious and nutritious products that are easy to incorporate into your daily life that support your well-being. You can also use a discount code they have kindly offered you guys, which is Leanne, for 15% off their range of whole food products and check them out at www.neutralorganics.com.au or online on social media at Neutral Organics. And again, that discount code is Leanne for 15% off their range. Now let's get straight back to our podcast with Dr. Rachel. Now, you've mentioned your why in the first podcast a few times as well, and I think it's really important for people to understand the why needs to be deeper than just a surface goal, you know, to look good in that dress or to lose X amount of weight, doesn't it? Like it has to go deeper than that. And I remember reading something once. And I can't remember if it was from Simon Sedek or not, but it was basically something about asking yourself why eight times. And if you can get down to that eighth level, then you'll get down to your deeper purpose. Like, what is your why? Is it for your grandkids? You know, you might be 30 years old and you're thinking 30 years into the future or something. Or is it because, you know, your mum had a heart condition or diabetes or something and you don't want to go down that same route? But is it really, you know, you've got to go levels and levels deeper than what clients originally sort of come to us for sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes I'll ask, my clients like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, like if somebody says, I want to be happy, I'll say to them, okay, well, when do you know you're going to be happy? And then if we break that down, you know, then we can say, okay, that's, you know, that's going to be the goal or that's your why. Um, And a lot of times I like to use kind of health related goals as well. So more um, like, you know, specific measurable um, statistics in a way. So for instance, somebody that might want to lose weight, uh, you know, we'll keep asking the why, the why, the why, and eventually maybe it'll be that they want to get off their sleep apnea machine, you know, maybe off the CPAP machine, or maybe they want to get off their cholesterol medication or off, you know, insulin, things like that. So those can be very powerful as well. But it's like you said, kind of digging deeper to understand where that's coming from. And maybe all of that is really coming from a place of, I want to fit on a roller coaster with my child you know, to be able to go to an amusement park with my child or run up the stairs with my kids. Um, But any of that can be very powerful if it comes from the individual. You know, it's like the same thing with coping mechanisms. I tell people like, you have to decide what works for you if this is not motivating to you, it is not going to work. Exactly. And when you can see that deeper why, that that purpose, it makes it easier to get out of bed at 5am rather than hitting the snooze button. You know, it makes it easier to order a healthier alternative if everyone else is getting takeout. So it does make those decisions day to day easier when you have that bigger purpose. Right. Yeah. And I think it's easier at the beginning when you're surrounding yourself by people that are 
trying to accomplish similar goals as well or have like-minded activities. Um, I, you know, it can be very difficult if you're first trying to make this change and you are sitting at a table with everybody ordering, you know, food that you don't want to order, um, or less healthy food. So remembering that why, and then kind of surrounding yourself with very supportive, like-minded people can be helpful at the very beginning, at least always helpful, but especially at the beginning. Yeah, I agree. And I guess, you know, we've talked about this a little as well, but I wanted to take a bit of a deeper dive into it where people initially, you know, they initially get that motivation, whether it be to exercise, to eat better, to drink more water, and then life gets in the way. You know, we get busy, we have a stressful week, the kids get sick, the dog needs to go to the vet, whatever it is, life gets in the way and we tend to almost revert back to our old habits. So how do we put a stop to that? Or how do we keep that momentum going when that motivation wears off? Yeah. So, um, so I always tell people, I always say life happens and that's exactly what you just described. Um, so, you know, I always tell people for, for instance, when I see my clients, many times I don't see them weekly. I see them biweekly because of life. Like I'll say to them, you can do everything I'm telling you to do in one week, but in two weeks life happens. Um, and you know, it might not be as easy and I want it to be challenging for us to then work through and problem solve and anticipate these difficult times and come up with a plan. Um, so yes, life happens and people do revert back to old behaviors. And I think, you know, I, I kind of feel like I sound like a broken record saying this, but I believe remembering the why is always going to be what brings people back. Um, so, you know, once again, and for some people that might be even a picture of them previously, or, you know, some reminder, maybe their child or whatever it is, but, um, but remembering that why is, can make it very easy to come back when life happens. And I think if we stick to some sort of routine, so once somebody has been able to incorporate these behaviors into their lifestyle and it's a routine, then when life happens, the routine will get off a little bit, but not much. So maybe then, you know, we're away from that all or nothing thinking, and maybe somebody doesn't have time to go to the gym for an hour, but they're like, you know what? I feel stressed. Let me just go for 20 minutes. Let me just do something. So they're at least doing pieces of that routine and sticking to somewhat of a routine as opposed to completely, um, like just letting it go. hundred percent. And I have a concept that I always talk about on social media and I call it 10% better. And that's what I say to people, you know, just aim for 10% better every day. So when life is busy, when you're stressed, when everything seems impossible, everyone can give 10%, you know, it's nothing. It's just, it's just that tiny bit. And often it's enough to just kickstart that momentum to get that ball rolling and they get more and more momentum. And it sort of just spirals from there, just aiming for that 10% better rather than, as you keep saying, not the perfection, not the black or white. It has to be this or it's nothing. It's just that that little bit every single day. Yeah. No, I like that 10%. It's it's like I usually say something is better than nothing. So like if you have 10 minutes, just do 10 minutes. You know, it's better than nothing. Um, but that's great. I like that because you're right. Everybody can give 10%. Yeah. And I always used to use the example that if, you know, you went into work one day and you felt pretty awful, you know, you might've had a few too many drinks on the weekend and you get into work and your boss says to you, just give me 10% better today. And I always say to clients, you could literally have a nap under your desk and you could still get 10%. It's like impossible not to do. It's something that is so easy for everyone to accomplish. But I think that we just get so busy and so caught up in the whole black or white thinking, the perfectionist personality that it's an all or nothing or we're on the diet or we're off the diet. Yeah. 
Definitely. And I think people that are able to lose weight and maintain their weight um, and have healthy lifestyles, you know, have kind of this more flexible thinking and they're more creative in their their lifestyle. And we actually know that there's um, the National Wheat Registry here in the U.S. that um, some researchers started, um, Rena Wing, who's at Brown. I, I don't know if she was the one who started it, but her team did. Um, and it's this you know, ongoing data collection of individuals that have lost at least 30 pounds and maintain that weight loss for, I don't remember if it's for one year or for three years. And every few years they do um, analyses on on this data. And what they find is not just that they have more flexible thinking and that they're more creative in their food choices and things like that, but they also self-monitor regularly. They weigh themselves regularly. Um, there's certain behaviors and, and um, things that we know that they do, and we know that these things work. So kind of loosening, I always say, kind of lo- loosening the screws in our brain and being a little more flexible in our thinking is definitely one of them. If somebody's thinking very all or nothing or black and white, so easily, then people are going to, quote, fall off this diet or fall off their lifestyle. Because if you can't go to the gym for an hour, then you're not going to go at all with that mentality. Exactly. And I've actually seen the research with the natural database in the US. And I remember the one thing that really stood out to me was that a lot of participants that kept the weight off had the same routine. During the week that they did, you know, on the weekend, they did on holidays, that they did on celebrations. It's like, just because it's Friday night doesn't mean that you can't eat a salad. Or just because it's a Saturday doesn't mean that you can't order extra vegetables or go for an extra walk. So they have the same healthy routines Monday to Friday that they did on the weekends, on social occasions, on Christmases, on their birthdays, and that sort of thing. So yes, have some cake, but you can also go for a walk just because it's your birthday doesn't mean that you also can't be healthy. So it really does come back to that flexibility, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. And finding that balance. It's like, I tell people all the time, like, um, you know, vacation, like when you're on vacation, your, your health still matters, you know? So it's the same thing. Like just because you're on vacation doesn't mean to now binge on those things. Um, and it's so much easier to come back when, when it is, the same and having the same routine. It's in a way it's easier. Like I tell people, put the work in at the beginning because then when it's a habit and it's your routine, it's really easy. Like you don't think about it. Like, like tomorrow for, for me here, you know, um, like tomorrow, for instance, like I know I'm waking up and going to the gym. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. That's, that's what I'm doing. If it's a weekend or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a Saturday for you tomorrow, isn't it? So you still have right. those great healthy routines that you do on the weekend that you also do during the week. Don't you? Exactly. Love it. Now, I would love to pick your brains around happiness and confidence because whenever I start working with a new client, it's often probably the top goal that they have. You know, I want to lose weight because I want to be happy. And they have this idea that happiness comes in a smaller body. And I always say to them, you know, you do realize that you can be happy right now. Like happiness isn't dependent on your weight. So how do we in this world of social media take the focus off our appearance and off our weight and learn to find happiness, you know, even day to day in the things that we do every day? So does it start with gratefulness or is there another strategy that you suggest? Because I feel like a lot of people, you know, particularly younger people are getting diagnosed with more depression and suicide rates of teenagers are on the rise. I mean, it's pretty scary things. And I'm sure that social media is a huge part to play there as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do agree with you with that. Um, And social media does have a, a big part of that because we're constantly being bombarded by images that are probably not real, um, you know, photoshopped images or with filters, um, and people are comparing, which of course is the worst thing that anybody can do. Um, but I often hear exactly what you had said, you know, like, oh, well, when I lose X amount of weight, I'm going to be happy. Or, you know, I have many patients say like, my life is going to be so much better when I lose X amount of weight. 
And what I tend to do with them is actually ask them, um, you know, what is it going to mean when you lose five more pounds? You know, what, what's going to change? Um, and I also actually tell them, you know, if I were, you know, because I think many times also, and this is, you know, I have different beliefs about people weighing themselves. I think, like we said before, with the National Weight Registry, we know that it can be very helpful because people are in tune and understanding how their body is feeling and what the weight is and being able to identify that. But at the same time, if somebody is getting anxious or stressed or depressed by seeing that number on the scale, then maybe they should not weigh themselves. Um, but what I, what I tell my patients though, is because many times people feel good and until they step on the scale. So I'll tell my client, okay, well, how did you feel before you found out that you gained a pound? And they were like, I was feeling great. Like I was doing what, you know, are all of my goals this week, this and that. So I would ask patients kind of in a hypothetical situation, what if I blindfolded you and I took your weight, but you didn't know it, you know, how would you feel? And many times they're saying they're happy until they see that number. So I try to get them to understand what does that number even mean? It's just a number. Like everyone's like, I want to lose five pounds. I want to lose 10 pounds. What does that really mean? Um, And then to try to understand what's going to change when you lose five pounds or 10 pounds. And I usually will write that down and, you know, like kind of, I'll go back to it with my patients and say like, okay, now you lost the five pounds. Like what changed, you know? Um, And most of the time people's lives do not change. We know that. Um, And, you know, I always tell people if there are depressive symptoms that are present prior to weight loss that are not related to your weight. And what I mean by that is, yes, some people have depressive symptoms because they can't find clothes that fit them. They don't feel good in the clothes. So they're isolating themselves, et cetera. For that person, losing weight probably will improve their depressive symptoms. But then many people have depressive symptoms completely unrelated to their weight, but they just believe that they're going to be happy. Their marriage is going to be better. You know, all these things are going to be better when they lose weight. But really, we need to dig deeper and understand where that depression and that sadness is coming from. Um, So it's unfortunate, once again, because of social media and because we're talking about numbers all the time, you know, not you and I necessarily. But, you know, so many people are talking about numbers. So people think it's important to look at that scale and to weigh a certain number. But I always talk about with my patients, like you have a happy, healthy weight. You know, it's maybe not the ideal weight that the doctor says that you should be, but where you feel comfortable in your own skin. And many times it is not a specific number. I tell my patients, if we're going to talk about numbers, we're going to talk about a range. And it's kind of like, once you get on that high end, the red flag should should be happening. And once you get to the low end, that's also a red flag. So a happy, healthy weight is a range because it's fluctuating all the time um, based off of so many things. And we have to keep that in mind also that if our weight is fluctuating naturally from things that that are out of our control, um, that we can't then associate an emotion to a number. And I think getting more away from the number is helpful for people to, um, to realize that, you know, their happiness is not going to be dependent on a number, but instead we have to understand what happiness means to them. And I'll ask them that too. Like, when do you know you're going to be happy? Forget about the number. Say, say I blindfold you when you, when you step on the scale, how are you going to know when you're happy? What does happy mean to you? And in a way with the work that I do, I'll make that sometimes a homework assignment for my patients. 
you know, come back and let me know next week what happiness means to you. Like, when are you going to be able to achieve that? Does it mean you can run a 5K? Does it mean you can run up and down the stairs with your kids? What does that look like for you? Mm, I love it. I absolutely love it. And trying to find happiness that has absolutely nothing to do with their weight and their body. So, you know, for me, happiness is like at the beach or something like that, so that it has nothing to do with my weight. So I can enjoy the beach no matter what, you know, happiness to some people might be painting or knitting or maybe doing a puzzle. So trying to find other things that bring you joy and happiness and trying to focus on, you know, your health from a health perspective and your weight from a health perspective. So trying to be healthier so you can live longer and not have to take medication rather than focusing on your body weight or your appearance. So that, you know, brings happiness in itself rather than trying to find happiness in other areas of your body or your weight. Yeah. And I think if we focus on the functional piece to it, as opposed to the appearance piece, it really helps with that. So thinking about like what we're able to do. Um, so is somebody able to say walk a 5k? Mm-hmm. Can somebody, you know, f- say fit on a roller coaster with their child? Um, as opposed to the number or fitting into a size clothes kind of thing, but the function of what our body actually does for us. And I think once again, it's that shift of, um, you know, our thinking, getting away from the body appearance and the number on the scale, but rather when I'm able to do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to be happy. Not when I lose five pounds, because then when you lose five pounds, maybe you still can't do the things that you thought you wanted to do when you were happy. So true. Yeah. And it comes back to what you initially said in the first podcast where you said, it. you know, it always comes back to our thoughts, doesn't it? So rather than thinking that I want to lose X kilos or X pounds, I, you know, think I want to be able to walk without struggling with my breathing, or I want to be able to walk and not feel any pain on my knees or something like that. So trying to link it to almost changing your thoughts around seeing it as a number versus seeing it for your health and your lifestyle long-term. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. And then the last question I have for you, Dr. Rachel, is really around um, red flags in terms of, you know, when would you say to someone, it's probably a really good idea to touch base with a psychologist. As I get a lot of people who, you know, I might put up a photo of an ice cream or a glass of wine or something on my Instagram stories and people say to me, oh my God, I can't believe that processed food you're eating or I can't believe you drink wine. It's so bad for you. All that sugar in that cookie, I can't believe you eat that. And I just feel like some people are just so caught up or invested in the, you know, inverted commas, clean eating routine and just demonizing entire foods that it actually kind of becomes on the flip side, rather than being super healthy, they're actually going down that disordered eating path and flipping the scale to actually becoming quite unhealthy with their rigidity around eating and food. So where do you draw that line and say to someone, you know, perhaps it might be worthwhile talking to a a dietitian or a psychologist or something like that. Are there any red flags Mm -hmm. that you could mention for our listeners at home? Definitely. Yeah. So I think um, the first one is that if you're, if eating or food or your weight um, or your body image is consuming too much of your time, like it's something that you're always thinking about um, and it's kind of becoming in, in a way an obsession, then that's right there a sign. Um, this should not be consuming somebody's life. Um, although yes, we have to eat. So we it's okay to think about food in terms of like, what am I going to eat at lunch or et cetera. But if it's really consuming too much of one's thought, also, if it's interfering with somebody's responsibilities, so if like you, if somebody can't function anymore, they're they're missing work, or you know, a lot of times we hear with um, eating disorders, you know, individuals um, don't, you know, they start isolating themselves. They're avoiding like social situations where there's food or wine or things like that. So any of these types of um, signs, you know, could be uh, or symptoms could be a sign that it is time to speak to somebody. 
Um, I also would say if anybody is restricting or eliminating an entire food group um, and is not being medically supervised or like working with a healthcare professional, then um, it would just be a good idea to see a medical professional and or a therapist. Um, Sometimes eliminating complete food groups as, as you know, in the work that you do as well, um, can lead to nutrition deficiencies. And kind of, if you decide to do that, you know, getting proper lab work and being followed is very important. But I would say, um, you know, the main ones really are that if this is um, consuming your life and it's distressful to you, it's bothering you, you're avoiding these situations and it's interfering with your functioning, your responsibilities, it is definitely time to, um, to seek help. And, you know, once again, I, I know we had mentioned this a little bit in the previous podcast, but being in therapy, um, is not a bad thing. I, I think everybody of course should be in therapy, but it also doesn't mean you need to be in therapy for the rest of your life. For some people, literally it's having that one consult, maybe, um, you know, a few tips or skills that they can learn and maybe they don't need to go back. Um, you know, or you learn something about yourself and you realize like, this is very helpful and you continue, but I don't think people should be afraid of it. Um, you know, it's, it's not scary. I think therapy is very different, um, in the room than what people think it is. Definitely. And one of the main reasons I really wanted to get you on this podcast also was, you know, of course, your wealth of knowledge, but just also to help break down that stigma in terms of accessing a psychologist. Because as we mentioned, it's not like you go in and you might see a therapist and all you do is lie on a couch and talk about your childhood. It is very different, particularly to what you might see in the movies or something like that. And sometimes it is nice to just chat to somebody and get an outsider's opinion. You know, sometimes we can just get so caught up in our own thoughts and our own head. And we have people around us who may love us, but they also may have a biased opinion or may think that because it worked or it didn't work for them, then it may or may not work for us. So would you say that that's another really good in for someone if they find that they don't have good social support around them to help them achieve their goals? It might be it might be worthwhile chatting to a therapist? Yes, absolutely. Um, a therapist or psychologist is definitely another support system for somebody. And I think many times people feel like they can't talk about certain things to loved ones or family or friends because they might feel like they're going to be judged. Um, and the great thing about therapy is, for instance, I tell my patients all the time, I don't know anything about the people you're telling me. And I don't know anything about you know your home life or your situation. So it is a truly unbiased um, opinion. And I always tell people that pretty much therapy is to me like a white screen. It's like a white wall. And my patients and my clients paint the picture. So however you want to paint your picture for me is all I know. So of course people can lie, but I always say to them, you know, the more honest you are, the more helpful that I can be to you, but you get to paint that picture for me. So whatever you tell me is all I know, and I'm here to listen and to help you kind of navigate things a little better. And therapy can be really great to problem solve and even to practice a lot of these skills as well. Like if communication comes up and say somebody wants to practice how they're going to say to their coworker, you know, when they offer them cookies, well, we can practice that. We can role play that in therapy as well. So it doesn't feel so raw and so new when it does happen in real life. Mm, Almost confidence building as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. All right, Dr. Rachel, it was so lovely having you back on the podcast. Again, it was another incredible episode. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you, email you, or get in touch with you. 
great. So yeah, so I have a website, which is um, drrachelnyc.com, which is dr and then R-A-C-H-E-L-N-Y-C.com. And then on social media, on Instagram, um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, but you can find me through Dr. Rachel NYC. And my email is drrachelnyc at gmail.com. I'm always happy to um, to respond to people through DMs or emails. Um, and if I can't help somebody, um, you know, myself, I'm always happy to help, you know, find somebody, um, you know, refer people out or provide the knowledge to them or resources that can get them the help that they need. Amazing. All right, guys. So if you have any further questions that maybe we didn't touch on in the podcast, reach out to Dr. Rachel, go and follow her on social media, go and say hi and check out her website as well, because she does offer, you know, at least within the US, but also you mentioned worldwide coaching as well. Exactly. Yes. And I'm always happy, like I said, to, to figure out resources for people if I'm not able to physically help them. Wonderful. That's very, very generous of you. And thank you again so much for coming on this podcast. And we hope to have you back someday very soon. Great. Sounds good. Thank you so much. I really hope that you guys enjoyed the second podcast with Dr. Rachel. And as always, if you enjoyed it, please tag me and share it in your Instagram story so you can share it with your friends and family as well. And also please leave me a positive rating or review in the Purple Apple podcast app. Um, the rating and review section is so, so important to me and it helps Apple to boost up my podcast and show it to more people so we can spread more brilliant evidence-based and scientific messages to the general public because the nutrition field is so confusing. So every rating and review that you guys leave me, every share of the podcast that you give me um, is so, so helpful to um, getting these really great balanced nutrition messages out there into the world. So thank you again. And don't forget to subscribe to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast so you never miss an episode. I'll catch you guys next week.